0: Fourteen years had the wonderful privilege of serving in southern Africa. The Africans have kind of a neat custom to go something like this, is that when a Christian stands in front of other Christians to preach or to teach or whatever, that person greets the people in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Two reasons for that. The first reason is that the speaker recognizes for him or her to be an effective communicator, that person really needs the infilling of God's Holy Spirit. But at the same time, it's never just a one directional thing, it's not just one person talking to a group of individuals, but it's also the individuals out there saying they want the Holy Spirit to speak to their hearts as well. So I'm going to greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as my way of saying I truly want to depend upon God this morning, but if you'd like for the Holy Spirit to speak to your hearts, you would respond back and you would say, Amen. Very, very good. A student came to my office to talk. I'm faced with so many important decisions. I want to do what God wants me to do, but I don't know how to discover His will. Time is running out on me. I just don't know what to do. Well, tell me about it, I replied. Well, I graduate in December. I have two good job offers, but I'm not sure which one to take. And more importantly, I've been been going out with a wonderful Christian gal. She doesn't graduate, though, for another year. I need to know if this relationship is of God before I graduate and leave. You see, there they were. Three crucial life-determining decisions cascading down upon him all at once. Vocation, location, and marriage. You see, on a regular basis, I've had different ones from our academic community approach me and ask the question, how can I know what God's will is? The reason for this is, I believe, because many of you are thinking about the future. What does the future hold for me? Physically, you may be here, but mentally, many of you are already living in the future. Their questions ring loud and clear. What should I be doing? Where should I be going? What organization should I be looking at? What should I be doing with my life? Who should I be marrying? How do I know what God wants for me? One student came to me and said, these questions are making me crazy. Well, I want you to know I understand for I've been where that student was, ready to pull my hair out wanting to know God's will. Well, allow me to take the role of a teacher for a few moments. I'd like to share nine thoughts that I have found to be very helpful regarding how one can discover God's will, gleaned from the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. Number one, a person who truly wants to know God's will needs to be willing to surrender self. Acts chapter nine records false conversion. And what I observe is that after Saul was saved, his pattern became one of continually seeking after the things of God. Seeking to put first things first. You see, when Jesus Christ spoke the words of Matthew chapter 7, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He wanted his followers to realize that to seek would take discipline and effort on the part of the individual. You see, in the Greek language, the word seek carries the idea of intensity and earnestness. When it came to knowing God's will, George Mueller, an English evangelist and philanthropist, wrote, I seek at the beginning to get my heart into such a state that it has no will of its own in regard to a given matter. Nine-tenths of the trouble with people generally is just here. Nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcome when our hearts are ready to do God's will, whatever He tells us to do. When one is truly in this state of surrender, it is usually but a little way to the knowledge of what His will is. Number two, a person who is seeking to know God's will needs to understand at least two things. First of all, we need to understand the truth that God is our Father. In every one of his epistles, the Apostle Paul uses this phrase, God our Father. And as Father, God desires the best for each one of us. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is found in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 in the Old Testament. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. You see, I contend that there are many Christians who have a defective view as to who God is, who, who come along and think that God is playing kind of a shell game with us. You know the game. You put three shells on a table. You put an object under one of the shells. The person moves the shells around, and it's your job to try to discover where that little object is. Or we come along and we see God as being the MC of a game, a game such as The Price is Right. We are given three curtains to choose from, and if we choose the wrong curtain, we get what is called the booby prize. They think that following God's will is something to be afraid of. They think it's something that we are to dread. In fact, one girl came along and stated that, I hate spiders and humidity, so I just know that God's going to send me to some equatorial jungle in South America. You see, her comments remind me of Scott Wesley Brown's song that came out in 1998. Let me read you the lyrics. Oh Lord, I am your willing servant. You know that I have been for years. I'm here in this pew every Sunday and Wednesday. I've stained it with many a tear. I've given you years of my service. I've always given my best. And I've never asked you for anything much. So Lord, I deserve this request. This is the chorus. Please don't send me to Africa. I don't think I've got what it takes. I'm just a man. I'm not a Tarzan. Not like, I don't like lions and gorillas and snakes. I'll serve you here in suburbia in my comfortable middle-class life. But please don't send me into the bush where the natives are restless at night. And then the next stanza. I'll see that the money is gathered. I'll see that the money is sent. I'll wash and stack the communion cups. I'll tithe, and I love this part, I'll tithe 11%. I'll volunteer for the nursery. I'll go on a youth group retreat. I'll usher, I'll deacon, I'll go door to door. Just let me keep warm in this seat. And then the chorus again, please don't send me to Africa. I don't think I've got what it takes. I'm just a man. I'm not a Tarzan. Don't like lions. Don't like gorillas. Don't like snakes. Don't like tarantulas. I'll serve you in suburbia. So please don't send me into the bush. Or dear ones, can I put it in another way? By faith, we are to understand that God truly desires the best for every single one of us. That even though we may not be seeing the answer right away, and you need to hear these words, we know by faith that God is already sending an answer to us. And when it comes, I want you to know it is going to be a good answer. It is going to be stupendous, and it is going to be for our good. Listen to the words of Leo Tolstoy. Where there is faith, there is love. Where there is love, there is peace. Where there is peace, there is God. And where there is God, there is no need, for our God is good and desires what is good for his children. Number three, a person who is seeking to know God's will will ring God up. You see, Paul is often identified as being a missionary, and though this is very true, we must not lose sight of the fact that he was also a mighty prayer warrior. In Acts chapter 9, verse 11, we read about the Apostle Paul praying. In Acts chapter 13, verse 2 and 3, we read of him worshiping and fasting and praying with the prophets and teachers who were part of the church in Antioch. In Acts chapter 14, verse 23, we again find him with Barnabas, praying for God's guidance regarding the appointment of church leaders. And then in Acts chapter 16, we once again see the Apostle Paul in prayer. But this time, he's with Silas in a damp cavity of a Roman prison. You see, dear ones, an important ingredient to discovering God's will is that we need to be praying Knowing the will of God is both a process as well as a posture. It's a process because we should ever be seeking to know God's will in that, in that process of praying to Him. But it's also a posture because we need to be in a posture of prayer, receiving and constantly having an attitude of humility and possessing a commitment that when God tells us to do something, we are committed to obeying Him. And then our times of prayer really need to include petition, specifically asking God to show us what is His will for us. E. Stanley Jones wrote, Asking is the symbol of our desire. E. M. Bounds defined petition as the confession of helplessness and an expression of our dependence on God for every need. And that includes our need to be in God's will. Number four. A person seeking God's will will read the Bible. You see, in Acts chapter 13, we see the Apostle Paul proclaiming God's word in Pisidia Antioch. In order for him to have done this, he must have known the word of God. He must have been reading it. Well, we can begin to discover God's leading through his word. As we seek for his will, we need to recognize that the Bible truly is the word of God. That when the Holy Spirit guides us, he will do it according to scriptures and never contrary to them. As an example, I really doubt if God's going to come along and tell me to go rob a bank in order for me to become rich. We must also be willing to respond to the word of God as we're reading it. You see, Roxy and I have been asked by our mission leadership to consider relocating as missionaries to another field The decision to know what to do was a very difficult one for us. We were happy where we were. We loved serving in Africa. God was doing some wonderful things. God was at work. But we wanted to know what God wanted for our lives. And so Roxy, my wife, decided that she needed to have some word from the Bible to show us what we should do. Until we got God's confirmation through the Word, my wife was not willing to take steps away from what we were already doing. And so she began praying. She began getting into the Word of God. A few weeks later, she came to me, and with excitement in her voice and her tears glistening in her eyes, I want you to know, my wife, she is the emotional one in our family. And she came to me, and she said, let me read to you what I read this morning In Deuteronomy, she said, are these words, the Lord your God said, you have stayed long enough on this mountain. Break camp, advance, go. And so we went. Number five, a person seeking God's will will expect at least three things. That number one, one can expect that there will be a time of incubation You see, it's interesting to me that in Acts chapter 9, Ananias was told by God that Saul was to be his chosen instrument to carry his name before the Gentiles and before their kings. But it's not until Acts chapter 16 that you and I see Paul entering into full-time ministry with the Gentiles. There was a time of incubation. There was a time of preparation before God sends him out to do the work that God has called him to do. The second thing is that one can expect there to be indicators, indicators showing that God is calling you to do something. These indicators may be in the form, first of all, of positive results. You see, some contend that the Macedonian call was the beginning of Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. I want you to know that would be inaccurate. For even before Paul fully gave his life to minister to the Gentiles, he had already been ministering to them. We see this in Acts chapter 13 when we are told that Paul preached to both Jews and Gentiles in Pisidia, Antioch. And in Acts chapter 14, both Jews and Gentiles in Iconium became believers after Paul preached and taught them. The point is this. Paul was already successful in seeing results in his ministry to the Gentiles. The second thing, the indicators can also, though, come in the form of poor responses. Or let me give you a reality. I really do not think that God is going to call a person to be a worship leader if that person can't sing a lick or have an aptitude for music. Let me give an example of what I'm talking about. My wife, Roxy, and I, for a while there, we were watching American Idol on a regular basis. I want to show you a clip from American Idol. I can picture if Dr. John Bray had a worship team like that, (laughs) that you would be fired right away. (laughs) Then I want you to know that there have been people who have gotten up to sing specials in church, and what they presented was far from being special. In fact, I want you to know they sounded to me like sick howling dogs, There have been those that have gotten up and claimed words like this. God has given me this song for me to sing and bless you with today. And you're sitting there feeling very uncomfortable, squirming in your seat because you're thinking to yourself, Lord, I don't want to be disrespectful, but please, could you take that song back? I don't want it. Well, dear ones, indicators may also come via people responses. That people, faithful followers of Christ who affirm and confirm God's work and calling on your life. That happened to me when I was called into missionary service, that for months I kept it to myself. And then there was a couple, Jeff and Beth Fuzner, that came to me and one day said, Jim, we believe that you're holding something back, but we sense that God is calling you to be a missionary. And then there was a person on the mission field by the name of, of Reverend Lehman. We called him Grandpa Lehman. And he came to me and he said, you need to know that a few years ago, when you came to the first church in Bartosville, in Oklahoma, when I saw you, the Lord came along and told me and said, you see that little China boy there? One day he's going to serve me in Africa. I want you to know I didn't think God called me the little China boy. <laughs> My first preaching assignment was at a Calvary Baptist church on the outskirts of Fort Sam Houston. It was on a Sunday night, and I was supposed to preach for 25 minutes. And when I got up there, I began to sweat like crazy. I thought I pre—I'd preached for 25 minutes because that was the allotted time. And so when I got done, I sat down. As I began to sat, sit down, the music leader looked at me and said, is that it? I looked at him and said, what do you mean? Is that it? And then he said, you only preached for five minutes out of 25 minutes. Well, I want you to know is that I felt a little bit embarrassed, but at the end of the service, there was an old lady in a church by the name of Lily with with pure white hair, and she was a saint, and she came to me, and she said, I know your message was short, but I see potential in you, and God sees potential in you, and I want you to know, keep preaching because one day God will use you. And then the other thing I notice, as indicators, expect there to be increased passion for the thing that God is calling you to do. When God called me to be a missionary, I want you to know that there were nights that I would stay up awake thinking about being a missionary. When God called me to be a teacher, I want you to know that there are times that I'm up in the middle of the night thinking what a joy it is to be able to teach God's Word. I realize that feelings can be deceiving. But if God wants you to take a certain course of action, He will often give you an inner growing conviction showing you that you are on the right path. Number six, those seeking to know God's will seek to notice, to keep their eyes open to opportunities that come their way. You see, the Apostle Paul was given opportunities to preach in Damascus, in Jerusalem, in Cyprus, in Iconium, in Lystra, in many other places. But nowhere... Do I see Paul being the one who is forcing those doors open? In fact, Jerry Freison and J. Robin Maxim in their book, Decision Making and the Will of God wrote, God is in control of all things and we can read his providence in order to find out what might be his will. He often often opens or closes doors of opportunity in order to reveal his will to us. Individuals who are seeking God's will also notice options that come their way. In a brochure from the North American Mission Board are these words. Knowing God's will is not just finding one answer. It is not like getting a road map with every exit marked for you to follow, for you to follow completely. But God created each one of us with many talents, with variables in our personalities, and thus with the ability to find fulfillment in any of several different choices. So God's will for your life includes options, any of which you might choose, and still be within what we call God's will. Number seven. A person truly seeking God's will will decide to follow and to walk with God, no matter what God tells that person to do. Number eight, a person seeking God's will will enjoy God's equipping, enjoying, when, because I believe that when God calls us to do something, he will equip us to do that. And then a person seeking God's will will also enjoy God's evidence, that God's anointing is upon that person. The Africans would put it this way, You know that you're in the will of God when you feel as if you are floating in His Holy Spirit. And then number nine, the person who discovers and follows God's will will rejoice. And they rejoice because they know that God is using them for the building up of His kingdom. There are around ten questions that I'd like to conclude that a person should ask as they're seeking to know what God's will is. Question number one, will it honor God? Question number two, is it consistent with scripture, with the word of God? Number three, is it the best thing that could be done, or is there something better to do? Number four, is it my heart's desire? Is this something I really have a passion for? Number five, does it fit who I am as a child of God, Does it fit my skills, my gifts, my resources, my abilities, my capabilities, my limitations? Number six, does it fit God's overall plan for my life? Has everything He's brought me through readied me for this opportunity, this purpose, this adventure? Number seven, are there or has there been any providential leadings towards this course of action? Number eight, Am I willing to submit to the decision of God's will? Number nine, is there or has there been an inner conviction and compulsion to undertake this course of action? Has it been confirmed through another person, through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God? And number 10, do I have a lasting peace in my decision? The worship team is up here. I'm going to ask you to respond. It may seem hokey to some of you. But what we're going to do is that if you notice on the platform that we have what are blank checks, and there are pens for you to come along and for you then to come, that if you're willing to surrender your life and say, that God, whatever you call me to do, I'm willing to do, that I'm giving you the blank check of my life. Because as I shared with you, the first thing that you and I need to do if we truly want to know the will of God is to say, Lord, I surrender all to you. And I signed a blank check for you to fill out and I will do whatever you ask me to do. And so dear ones, will you do me a favor? Will you stand up? And if you can make that response of saying, yes, Lord, I'm willing to sign my name to a blank check that I want you to fill out for me. I invite you then to come to the blank checks that are there, there's one on that side, one there, and one's gonna be in the middle. Will you respond to the nudging of the Holy Spirit of God? Let's worship the Lord.